right. Well, if you would take out your Bibles as the kids make their way back to their seats. We'll be looking at Psalm 61 this morning. I just want to say thank you for your hospitality this weekend. It's been great getting to know many of you. Uh, last night, if you were out uh, at, the, at the meet and greet and I didn't get a chance to meet you, I'd love to meet you later today. If I walked past you and didn't know you were with Heritage and you just kind of smiled and nodded, thank you for that too. Uh, it's, it's just great to be here, and it's really, really great to be able to open God's Word together this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 61. I'm not sure if you remain seated for reading. Why don't we just remain seated this morning, and I'll read Psalm 61 and pray to begin our time in God's Word. Hear God's Word now from Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. Make his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Well, this ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together before we look at Psalm 61. Father, as our Savior prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Show us Christ and his grace this morning in this psalm and by the power of your Holy Spirit, transform us by that grace into people who know you and trust you and follow you more day after day. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to start off this morning with a story from Cuba. We were traveling to a church in western Cuba on a past trip to a city called Los Palacios. And we were traveling by bus. Think of kind of a short shuttle bus. And we were Uh, driving to this city called Los Palacios, and the bus driver took a wrong turn. So we ended up on this totally dark and windy road, and then we ended up finally at this rickety old wooden bridge. You could see people walking across the bridge. There were bicycles riding across. No cars, though. There were these metal plates that were laid down kind of across the beams. It was a pretty uh, rickety old bridge. Someone in our group described it as termites holding hands. So we obviously wanted to get out of the bus before it tried to drive across. So we exit the bus and we walk across. The bus driver prays and slowly drives across this bridge. We find out later no car had driven across this bridge in a very long time. So as we're walking across the bridge, and thankfully everyone made it to the other side, uh, I was shooting a video on my phone, and one of my colleagues, I caught him saying this on the video, he says, I think we need to leave Los Palacios another way. I think we've all faced moments like this in life. Uh, What in the world am I doing here? How did I get into this situation? We must have made a wrong turn somewhere along the way. Surely there's a different way we ought to be going. And David certainly faced moments like these uh, when it seemed like the bridge was out. He faced moments like these where uh, he had received this promise, and we're going to circle back to this, but he had received this promise that his kingdom... Uh, It would be forever, but it didn't always seem like that would be the case. There were times it seemed like this promise really wouldn't pull through, like it would really be cut short and never happen. 
not unlike some of the times when the promises God has made to us uh, seem like they're really hanging by a thread. We're not really sure how God can make true on his promises because we look around and see the situation we're in. So when the path has led us in the wrong direction, or so it seems to us, how do we bring our hearts back to trust and confidence in God? Well, I think in moments like these, we would do well to turn to Psalms like Psalm 61. Psalm 61 gives us a roadmap of sorts. It charts the course. He, David in Psalm 61, he gives us a way that leads through the pain and frustration and confusion when we feel abandoned, when we feel like all hope is lost, wondering if God's promises will really hold true. David leads us through all of that back to our great God, the rock who is higher, the refuge who is stronger, the redeemer who has everything under control and who will make good on his promises. So I want to walk through Psalm 61 uh, following four stops on what we can call this roadmap for prayer. Four stops. First, crying out for God's guidance. Second, remembering God's faithfulness. Third, longing for God's presence. And finally, trusting God's promises. So the first stop on this roadmap is crying out. Crying out for God's guidance. We see this in verses 1 and 2. Lead me, David says, to the rock that is higher than I. David is crying out for God's guidance. And I want to look at a couple of things uh, that we should note here. First, uh, we cry out when we feel distant. From the end of the earth, David cries out. Have you ever felt that distant from God? From the end of the earth. By now, we've all added the words, for better or for worse, uh, social distancing to our vocabulary. I saw an article sometime over the last couple of years. The headline said, we're all socially awkward now. I thought some of us were socially awkward before, if we're being honest. You know, but uh, do we fist bump or elbow bump or handshake? And at some point, it gets really weird. I remember uh, during the mask mandates in California, I was wearing masks all the time, and you can't smile at people with a face mask on. So I would just squint at people, you know, no smile, but I would just kind of squint to acknowledge their presence. But then when masks went away, I just kept doing it. (laughs) It's like, hello. Uh, It's awkward. But a lot of times we can feel that awkward in our relationship with God. Awkwardly distant and alone and far from God. It can seem like we love God, we long to be near God, we want to feel His presence with us, but it just feels like nothing, like there's just nothing there. The ends of the earth, just like David says, that's how distant we can feel from God. Whether you're truly in a faraway country or you're sitting in the same seat you always sit in on Sunday morning in church, longing for God to show up. Our pain can put that sense of distance between us and God. I remember reading a pastor who said non-Christians don't pray because they're afraid God is there. Christians don't pray because they're afraid God is not there and they don't want to lose their faith. Sometimes we can feel that way. But it's precisely in that moment when we feel that alone and distant and doubtful that we should cry out for God's guidance, to cry out to Him to lead us to more safety than we can find in ourselves. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. So we cry out when we feel distant. Another thing we see in Psalm 61 is we cry out when we feel alone and crushed. When my heart is faint, this this crushing feeling of despair. Our suffering, whether it's emotional or relational or really physical, it can all feel physically crushing, right? When we're going through 
difficulties in life. It can feel, even if you're not physically sick, that everything going on has just crushed you physically. We feel it deep within us. We, we have these ways of describing this hurt. I'm really going through the ringer right now. I feel wrung out like a sponge, emotionally, spiritually. The weight of the world on your shoulders, right? To borrow a line from the hobbit Bilbo Baggins, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. We can feel this deeply, and it hurts sometimes. When you, when you, re, when you feel this way, and when you're experiencing this, this crushing weight, uh, this, this idea of being crushed and feeling like your heart is faint, just remember that God knows that. God knows who and what we are, and we can pray into that knowledge. He remembers our frame. He considers our frame and remembers that we are dust, and we can cry out to a God who knows and who cares. So we cry out to God when we feel crushed. The 18th century Anglican bishop George Horn has this wonderful work on the Psalms. Uh, it's really Christ-centered and devotional. And I love his thoughts on this opening verse. Here's what he says. He says, The church, extending far and wide among the nations, cries out in a loud voice to God through the prayers of the church members, all the way from the end of the earth. The world is to Christians a sea of troubles and temptations from which they daily beg God to deliver them and to place them on the rock of their salvation, and that rock is Christ. Standing securely on Him, by faith in His sufferings and exaltation, we may defy all the storms and raging waters that can be raised against us by the adversary. While as if from the top of a high mountain on the shore, we see the waves dashing themselves in pieces beneath us. It's this beautiful imagery. Maybe you've stood on rocky cliffs at the edge of the ocean, and you can picture this. In San Diego, we have the sunset cliffs. I don't know what you have on the East Coast, but you look down from these cliffs, and you can see the waves crashing in to the cliffs below, dashing themselves in pieces, like Horn says. A dangerous thing, right? But from the safety of the cliff, looking down, it's a thing of beauty. It's a thing of beauty from this safety. And that's how we can look on our trials and suffering in life when we're standing safely on Christ, our rock. We can find beauty in the madness and the chaos and the disaster because we know that it's working together for our good and for God's glory and we're safe on the rock that is Christ. So we can pray this way and say, lead me, Lord, to the rock that is higher than I. That's the first stop. Uh, crying out. The second stop on this Psalm 61 roadmap for prayer is remembering. Remembering God's faithfulness. For you, verse 3, have been my refuge, a strong tower. And the tense of the verbs here is important. Notice what David says. Not for you are my strong tower, not for you will be my strong tower, but you have been my refuge, a strong tower. He's remembering God's faithfulness. If the Psalms teach us anything, it's the importance of remembering. That's a big part of any pastor's job description, remembering and reminding people to remember, not wowing people with some brilliant discovery from Scripture, but reminding people, remember all that the Lord has been for us. Remember the goodness of the Lord. Remember Jesus. So many times the psalmists start out totally lost and confused. They have no idea what to do. They have no idea what's really going on. And then the psalmist remembers. He remembers God's faithfulness. He remembers God's faithfulness in the past, and that past faithfulness grounds his present confidence. 
and invigorates his hope for the future by remembering, remembering God. Forgetting God and forgetting his faithfulness caused many of the problems that God's people faced under the old covenant. Isaiah 17 comes to mind. When God gives the reason that he's sending judgment on his people, we read in Isaiah 17.10, For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. You have not remembered the rock of your refuge. When you forget the rock of refuge, when you forget the Lord God of your salvation, you start looking for substitute saviors who can never rescue you. False gods who can never give you rescue. Never. You will not find refuge in the stock market. You will not find refuge in a political candidate. You will not find refuge in relationships. You will not find refuge in health. You will not find refuge in indulging sinful desires. Some of those are good things. Some of those are bad things, but they all have one thing in common. They are no rock of refuge. They cannot rescue. There is only one God, and He alone can save. Again, Isaiah 45.22, Turn to Me, God says, and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. So we have to remember the God of our salvation. We have to remember not just who He is or who He promises to be, but who He has been all along the way. We remember God's faithfulness. Memory of His mighty protection in our lives motivates our prayers to ask Him and plead with Him to do it again. Memory of who He has been in the past. Memory of how He has delivered us and ultimately how He delivered us in Christ when Christ Jesus was crushed in our place for our sin. So we remember God's faithfulness so that we could be hidden in Him forever. He gave us Jesus. And as Paul would say, if God's given us Jesus, what won't He give us? So we remember His faithfulness. We cry out for His guidance. We remember His faithfulness. And then the third stop, it's longing. Longing for God's presence. Verse 4, David says, Let me dwell and take refuge. Dwell and take refuge. You see, in trials, we don't just cry out for rescue. We don't just cry out. At least we shouldn't just be crying out for rescue. Get me out of this. Okay, thanks. Hasta mañana, God. I'm out. If we do that, we've turned God into little more than a divine ATM machine that we just expect to spit out the cash when we're in a bind. It becomes this transaction. But listen to those words, dwell and take refuge. That communicates more than just a transaction. It's relationship. It's this longing for God's presence. Let me dwell and take refuge. There's something about refuge and closeness to God. It's different than just asking for deliverance. David puts it in verse 4, let me dwell in the Lord's tent. It's like the little kid, right, coming to mama and daddy's door and knocking on the door in the middle of a thunderstorm. Can I sleep in mommy and daddy's bed? This welcome out of aloneness into safety. And then switching metaphors, David says, let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. This intimate picture of the baby bird nestled up under the mother's protective, caring wing. Pink little chirpy birds that are fuzz-covered and helpless. It's not a flattering picture, but it's an important picture of you and me. We have nothing going for us except for the tender mercies of our Lord's loving, protective wing as we take refuge under Him. I think Derek Kidner really captures how Psalm 61 charts the course as it takes us closer and closer to God's heart. It's this intimate picture. Kidner says, God's safekeeping is viewed here in increasingly personal terms. As the aloof ruggedness of the high crag of verse 2 gives place to the purpose-built tower of verse 3, 
and this in turn to the hospitality of the frail tent with its implication of safety among friends, and finally the affectionate parental shelter symbolized by the wings. This, says Kidner, against all appearances, is the best security of all. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Verse 5 maybe even puts a finer point on what it means to long for God's presence, uh, to dwell in the Lord's tent, as David says. It seems to be a longing for refuge and safety, not just a, a, a tent as a shelter, Uh, but the tent as in a place of worship, if the tent refers to the tabernacle and later the temple. Verse 5 references uh, David's devoted acts of worship and God's blessing. He says, For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. David here, in essence, is saying, God, I worship you. You have heard my vows. Uh, You have seen my acts of devotion, and you have richly blessed your servant. I've gone to the place of worship but give my soul refuge in your presence. Let this be more than just something I do as I come to worship. Let me know you and be near to you. Not just welcomed out of aloneness into safety, but welcomed out of aloneness into the safety of God's presence in worship. It seems David and the people, as they sing and pray this psalm, they're longing for shelter in the act of worship and nearness to God in true devotion. And I think that's something that we can take practically today for ourselves. When we come to worship the Lord uh, with our brothers and sisters in the place where God promises to show up, in the means of grace, in the prayers of His people, worship isn't just an activity we do every Sunday because it's something we ought to do. It's the place where shelter in the Lord is found. So don't let hard times in your life drive you away from this place. Let them drive you through those doors into the place of safety that's found in worshiping the Lord with His people. Finding God as your refuge. Finding God's presence in worship. So we cry out for guidance. We cry out for God's guidance. We remember God's faithfulness. We long for God's presence. And then there's one final stop, and it's trusting God's promises. Trusting his promises. Things get kind of interesting here. So let's go back and hear the ending of the psalm again. Verses 6 and 7, we read, Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So far, everything that David says connects pretty easily with our own experience. Crying out for guidance, remembering God's faithfulness, longing for his presence. Uh, But what do we do with prolong the life of the king? What does that mean in 21st century Virginia to pray in this psalm? Prolong the life of the king. What's going on here? Well, so far, everything David says, it connects pretty easily. But here, David is banking on a specific promise that God made to him. A covenant that was made with God's servant David in 2 Samuel 7. This promise that David would have an everlasting kingdom, that his kingdom would be forever, that an heir to his throne would sit on that throne forever. And this promise hasn't been fulfilled yet when David writes Psalm 61. Sometimes it seemed like a dream that would never come true. David had a lot of close scrapes, right? He was chased a lot. Eventually, he died and his sons died. Would God be true to his promise to give David an heir and a kingdom that would be forever? This would ultimately, finally be fulfilled in Jesus, the greater son of David, who now reigns from his throne at the Father's right hand. He's exalted and reigning forever. 
And what's so amazing is that because God made true on that promise, because God did fulfill that promise in Jesus, this covenant that God made to David, you and I have every reason to pray and trust God as we bring our prayers to him. You can trust him because God prolonged the life of the king. He did it. The greater son of David, our savior, the lion of Judah, sits on the throne. He's ruling and reigning forever. Every promise that God has ever made finds its yes and amen in Jesus. God did it. He fulfilled the promise. But he did it in a surprising, saving way for sinners like you and me. Jesus came through the turbulent storm of God's wrath, and he found no rock of safety. He found no tower of refuge. Jesus found no sheltering tent, no sheltering wings. Jesus worshiped perfectly, as we heard in Philippians 2. He lived a life of perfect obedience even unto death. And yet he was crushed and he bore the full brunt of God's wrath that you and I deserved. It's the full brunt of wrath that we should have carried on our shoulders and it was placed on Jesus on the cross. And it's the wrath that still awaits us if we have not turned by faith to Jesus and found redemption in him. Without Jesus, there is no rock of safety to turn to. There is no tower of refuge. There is no welcoming tent. There is no sheltering wing. But in Jesus, by faith in him, you and I are welcomed into that safety and refuge. God prolonged the life of the king by bringing the king through death, back from death, and welcoming all who by faith turn to him and trust him to share in that promise of life forever and ever. Because Jesus has done this for you, that means that you can pray and trust that God hears your prayers and will fulfill his promises to the very last detail in the person and work and reign of King Jesus. The psalm ends with a promise to sing forever and to offer vows day after day. Singing we get. We've sung this morning. We're going to sing more. God's people love to sing. But what do we do with the vows? What do the vows mean? These were sort of like thank offerings to the Lord. Really kind of a one-time thing. You've made a request and it's been granted. You offer this vow of thanksgiving and it's done. That's it. But David says, no way. I'm, I am going to thank the Lord forever for his faithfulness. Day after day after day. And that's where prayer in the midst of trials should bring us even before we're pulled out of the pit even when the bridge is out even in the middle of unrest and uncertainties and all that we experience in this life we're crying out for guidance we're trusting in God's promises remembering his faithfulness knowing he's always made good on his promises in the past and he will make good on them in the future so we can sing and thank the Lord day after day we are safe and secure in the arms of our Savior. Our feet are on the rock of refuge that is Christ, who is ruling over all things from his throne of grace. The waves crashing below can't hurt us because we're safe in him. We're tucked safely away under the protective wings of the Lord, redeemed and rescued in him. And from that kind of safety, just like David, what can we do but sing and give thanks forever and ever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, lead us to the rock that is higher than I, the rock of Christ, our refuge. Help us to remember who you have been all along, even when we can't seem to place exactly what you're doing in our lives at this moment. Give us refuge as we worship you. Give us trust in your promises, for they all find their yes and amen in Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen.